I love to find out how music has made a person all the way back to when they were young. And mm -hmm. for you, it doesn't start right away necessarily because you were a sports girl. But yeah. I did see on social media that maybe you were about three years old and you were sitting at a piano with your mom. So yeah. was there sort of music around when you were younger? Oh, yeah. I mean, despite the fact that there was definitely a period of time, well, most of my life, I was definitely more serious about sports, whether it was gymnastics or snowboarding or whatever. Um, but music was definitely always there. And it was definitely a huge part of, of my life. I mean, I've always said, you know, I was really lucky. I grew up with two parents that had great taste in music. Um, you know, my mom was a DJ in college. And so she had this epic record collection and my parents were pretty like, felt pretty strongly about, you know, when we were inside the house, it was usually having music on as opposed to the TV. Um, so, and like, just what, when we were in the car, when we were cooking dinner, when we were just hanging out around the house, like whatever it was, there was like always music on. It was always like, I mean, so many of my best childhood memories have music attached. When we go camping, you know, we'd be sitting at our campsite and my mom would always have a radio on. So, you know, I definitely got a lot of, um, I was definitely inspired by a lot of really great music and had kind of an eclectic taste in music for someone my age growing up. I mean, of course, you know, I I, I had a couple, you know, Spice Girls and NSYNC or Backstreet Boys albums, but like, I mean, the first record the first CD I ever bought, like with my own money or like that I chose to buy, we went to like HMV with my mom and she's like, all right, you can pick one CD or whatever to get. And I picked Nirvana, never mind. So nice. that's a good <laughs> person. I think she was like equal parts, like shocked and like proud. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, okay, my job here is done. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. And so growing up, it was like you say, gymnastics first, competitive gymnastics, your life was kind of taken over by that. And then it got into snowboarding. But yep. talk about the eighth grade, I would believe it was and you were in one of the school musicals, right? Oh, yeah. So that was actually I think that was actually sixth grade. Um, okay. Yeah, because I remember because I the school that I was in was like my elementary school. Um, yeah. And I think I don't remember why I tried out. I think like one of my friends was doing it or something. And so I was like, sure, like, why not? Might as well. And um, so, yeah, I auditioned and everybody was kind of like, whoa, like you can sing really well. And I was like, I kind of like doing this. This is cool. Um, and my teacher at the time, her name was Ms. Martin. She was awesome. And I remember she ended up talking to my parents and said, you know, I think Megan might really have something here like a really special talent and i know some i i know someone that can give her lessons if that's something she's interested in and so that was when i started taking singing lessons i, I guess i would have been like 12 or 13 maybe okay. um and then i took them all through high school and uh the the teacher that that well i had i had a couple but i had one main vocal teacher through through most of high school and you know she was an opera singer and she saw like with me, I had this really big voice, really powerful voice and a lot of range from a pretty young age. And so she kind of was like, well, you're going to be an opera singer. And I was just like, OK, <laughs> you know, but I think it was also with the snowboarding and stuff like I, I don't think I really thought seriously about making a career out of music or even thought that I could until um, really like when I got into into university, because my my senior year of high school, 
I was, I was snowboarding and, you know, my initial plan was actually to defer my first year of college because I was really focused on snowboarding and I felt like I had a really good shot of getting on the national development team. I was competing really well. Um, and then I had a really bad fall and broke my back and dislocated my shoulder, broke my collarbone. Like it was, it was pretty severe and it was months and months of recovery. And I mean, one, it really scared me because I was truly very lucky to walk after that incident. And um, it, I don't know, it just kind of shifted shifted my priorities and my focus. And I think also because while I was healing and recovering from this injury, um, you know, I spent a lot of time listening to music and writing lyrics and writing music. And that was kind of, that was kind of the thing that like kept me from being super depressed and like losing my mind while I was laid up on the couch. So it kind of saved me. And, you know, when I came out of that, that injury and recovered, I graduated and decided to go and study music in, in college. So ever, ever since then, that's where the big shift was for me. And your parents, I believe for your graduation present, they bought you a guitar, right? They did. Yeah. So going, you were going into opera, but did they kind of have an inkling in their back of their mind? Did they know you were going to be doing country music before you knew you were going to be doing country music? Well, I don't know if they knew like country music specifically, but I mean, the thing, the thing for me with like studying opera, it wasn't, I, well, I mean, I learned very quickly in my first year that I, I really was not passionate about the genre of opera. It was right. just, you know, unfortunately, I feel like with a lot of Canadian universities and colleges, they're still very traditional and you don't have a lot of options. It's like opera or jazz and it's all still very like, you know, like theory and history and all that stuff. And not a, a lot, there's not a lot in some of these programs that's really applicable to somebody who wants to like get a record deal or a publishing deal. It's really mostly great if you essentially, if you want to become a teacher, you know, or if you do want to become an opera singer or something like that, then you, you know, you, it, it works for you. But for me, I mean, my, I don't think I ever really was intending to like be an opera singer. I just wanted to study music. I just wanted to be a better vocalist. I wanted to understand you know, the theory and everything in terms of being able to create and write my own music. And after my first year, and I mean, I was already playing and I'd already been playing in other bands and different genres. And, you know, I, I was definitely raised on a lot of not so much like country, like mainstream country, but like a lot of Americana roots, like Southern rock, that kind of stuff. Like Neil Young was a huge staple in my house growing up. The Eagles, the Allman Brothers, Skinner, like all zeppelin and like all a lot of rock and southern rock and classic rock and so they knew that i really loved that music and the stuff that i was writing on my own was definitely more in that vein so right. you know and that was why i wanted to learn to play guitar a big part of it was because i was starting to write music and i didn't want to feel like i had to depend on another person to be able to write songs you know i wanted to just be able to pick up a guitar and do it all myself as opposed to like be like hey, can i have somebody come over and hang out and like play guitar for me while i write lyrics you know <laughs> and you started sort of getting more serious with the writing when you switched over to jazz in university right and you you uh joined a, a jazz sort of group and that's when the lyric writing sort of started to take off for you yeah so i had switched over into the jazz program and i'd made a bunch of friends that were also musicians uh, a lot of like horn players and stuff and we became friends and we decided to start a band it was kind of like a funk r&b kind of thing like tower of power style music um and most of the guys you know none of them were really all that interested in like writing lyrics or anything like that they you know are um 
our sax player, our alto sax player um, and tenor sax player, like they would write the arrangements and like the horn parts and stuff like that. And our guitar player, you know, was writing sort of the musical side. And so they kind of just left it to me as the only singer. They're like, you can just kind of write like whatever you want to this music. Um, so it was, and it was, you know, it was, I learned a lot from that. And that was also the first band I ever played with where we really got to do like a good chunk of touring. And I got a taste of what it was like to be on the road and doing all that. And I, I just really, I just really fell in love with it and felt like I was getting closer and closer to feeling like, okay, this is what I want to do. And when I ended up leaving McGill to go to Humber in hopes of finding a program that was a little bit better suited to me. Um, and honestly, I, I didn't want to like disappoint my parents. They wanted me to go to school. And, and so, you know, I was trying to make it work. And when I moved there, I was moving back towards closer to where I grew up. And that's where I met all the guys that I had the stone sparrows with, with my yeah. bluegrass band. And then that, you know, first summer we did a full like East coast tour of Canada. And that was, that was definitely the the final like nail in the coffin of my school career <laughs> because <laughs> I was just like, this is what I want to do. I'm like, I don't need a degree to do this. I want a publishing deal. I want a record deal. And I was like working and in school full time and I was playing gigs and, you know, trying to do all three things. And I, I, could, I just couldn't juggle it all anymore and not working wasn't an option. So I was like, well, I'm going to drop out. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> and that lasted till about 2013 and then you guys split and you went solo now how long did it take you to sort of get situated because I know it might have been about a year that you sort of struggled to kind of find your way and then when did you join a management team like what did that look like for you um, I want to say I'm, I'm not great with timelines but I mean yeah after the stone sparrows and I kind of went our separate ways um, and I mean, it was it was amicable. We just kind of all I think a big part of it was that the other guys in the band had other jobs or other things that they were interested in that they could kind of fall back on. And I didn't. And right. I was also starting to write just naturally. I was writing more country, like more mainstream country than than bluegrass stuff. And I also was like I was trying to lean my music towards something that was a little bit more viable in the industry, you know, with radio and, and stuff like that. I mean, bluegrass is such a niche genre. It's it's tough to like really make it as a as a bluegrass act unless you're, you know, like Rhonda Vincent or Alison Krauss or Vince Gill, like, you know, one of these icons. And um, so, yeah, it took me I'd say it was about a, a good year and a half or, or maybe even two years where I was just really trying to figure out who I was as a solo artist, because up until then, I had never been a solo artist. I always played in bands. Um, so I was just kind of trying to find my own identity and my own sound. Um, and I would, I mean, I would say that it was probably six or seven, I guess like seven years ago when I first found management. Um, and, you know, it's been, I mean, it's been just over five years now since I put out my first record with Warner. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was, there was a lot of those in between years between the Stone Sparrows and getting my record deal were were some of the the toughest years. I was really broke. I had no <laughs> money and you know, I'd had I'd kind of been on this high of having this band and we'd been touring and it had just been such an awesome experience and then it felt like all of a sudden I had nothing going for me and I was trying to rebuild and figure it all out and then you know, when I started talking with labels and I got my deal, then all of a sudden it was like off to the races and a lot of things happened really quickly. And I've, 
I've learned to better deal with the the plateaus and the, the lows and the lulls and things because things are always going to pick back up. You know, that's just the way this industry goes. You can't you can't live up here all the time. You know, and that's honestly what this past year and a half has felt like a little bit for me. It's been really frustrating because you know, I had been working so hard nonstop for the past, you know, six years. And last year was was really truly set up to be one of the biggest years of my whole career in terms of, you know, I had just signed my US record deal. We were getting ready to come out as an artist in the US. I, you know, I got my my first Juno. We had a ton of great touring planned out. I was doing my first headlining tour in Ontario. So we had all this awesome stuff lined up and then all of a sudden it was just like taken away from me and it's been so hard trying to figure out like how do i keep my career moving forward in during this time so it's been tough but i think the silver lining of that is it gave me time to focus more on my songwriting and only on songwriting and creativity and i think the result is that i've come up with some of the best songs i've ever written the most honest and most authentic and most in-depth kind of song. So I, I, I'd i like to believe there's a reason for all of it. <laughs> <laughs> and on the songwriting side, like you talk about when you signed your deal with, uh, with Warner back in 2015, things really went quickly from there and you yeah. started writing with some pretty big names down in Nashville. So when you first started that process, what was that like for you going down there and writing with those guys? I mean, it was it was equal parts like very nerve wracking and intimidating, but I also was just so grateful and so excited to finally feel like I was moving forward and things were really happening. Um, and I mean, it was it was tough. Like Nashville, Nashville, when you are new there, is can be pretty lonely and tough on you. It's very humbling. I mean, everybody there can sing and play and write. Every girl is is beautiful you know every like there you you will get very humbled very quickly when you move to nashville but for me i think it was it was exactly what i needed because it it motivated me it pushed me you know and and that was a big part of why i decided to move there as opposed to just kind of commuting back and forth you know after i signed my record deal it got to a point where i when i if i wasn't on the road playing and touring then I was in Nashville writing and so I was hardly even like home anymore anyway and then when I would come home it was tough it was like trying to shift gears all the time I felt like I was living like two separate lives almost like I was trying to be two different people and right. you know and I had and I I had all these great friends and great people that I you know that I lived with back home and that I was friends with and you know this isn't a slight on them or anything it was but they didn't understand they weren't living the same life as me they didn't understand like what it was like for me on the road. And, you know, I, I found myself not being as focused when I was at home because I would just kind of, you know, fall into what everybody else was doing and hanging out with my friends and when I should have been like being creative and writing and focusing on my craft. And when I moved to Nashville, I just felt like it was it was so good for me because I was always surrounded by other musicians and other people that were working hard and it just kept me very focused and motivated on what my goals were as as an artist and as a writer because I was surrounded by it every day and was it ever overwhelming because like at the end of 2015 all of a sudden you're recording with Vince Gill in his home studio like that's just like, it seems crazy. Like, was it yeah. overwhelming or was it like, no, this is where I'm supposed to be. I've been working for this. This is where I should be. 
It no, I was very overwhelmed. <laughs> I mean, to be honest, like, well, I think part of it too is that actually, um, right before I was supposed to go in the studio with Vince, um, I ended up getting sick. I had a really bad cold. And so I was freaking out because I'm like, I am literally about to go into the studio with one of the greatest vocalists of our time. And I knew that I didn't have my full voice and, you know, I was sick and I was like struggling with it. And I actually, at the time I was staying with Carolyn Don Johnson in her pool house. That was where I was staying while I was working on it. And she's, she is the sweetest person in the world. I, I had told her cause she was super excited for me. And I was like, I'm freaking out. Like I have a cold and I'm sick. And like, this is the biggest thing that's ever happened to me. And like, I'm, I don't have my full voice and blah, blah, blah. And so I came home one day from, I think I was writing or something in a meeting and she had left like a box of Kleenex and like some cold meds and some chocolates in this little journal. And she just wrote me this note and said, I mean, I, I, I don't know verbatim, but basically just said, you're about to have one of the most exciting experiences of your whole career. I know it's not how you pictured it and you're not feeling your best, but don't forget to enjoy it and, and soak in the moment. I know you're going to crush it. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like just in tears. Like, so, you know, she really kind of helped me get my head right before I went in there. And, you know, it was, it was an amazing experience. It was, I was definitely very intimidated going into it. But then as soon as, you know, Vince like answered the door and he's just like in a t-shirt and like sweatpants, like barefoot. And he's like, come on in child. You know, he's just like the sweetest, most humble down to earth person. He made me feel so comfortable. Um, we had a great time making the record and it was just, it was really special. And I, I'm glad, I'm grateful for, for Carolyn as well, for helping me kind of get my head right before that experience, you know, and, and remind me to just enjoy it while it was happening. And when you released that first album, Grace and Grit in April of 2016, what was the feeling then when you released that album? Was it a little bit of relief to finally have that first album out and be able to hit the ground with it? Yeah, I think, you know, it was like with most new releases. I mean, that one will always be extra special because it was my first release as like a signed artist yeah, and as a solo artist as well, which made it um, kind of equal parts like crippling anxiety and self-doubt and, and, but also, like you said, excitement and like, and I was trying to remind myself of what Carolyn had said to me, like, hey, you have worked for this for a very long time. You did the work. It's a great record. Just enjoy this and, you know, just be along for the ride. And, and it ended up, it opened a lot of doors for me. I mean, it was a great first record for me. Um, and I'm, you know, I, I will always be grateful for what that, that record did for me, for sure. And so you toured with Tom Cochran after the release of that. You wrapped that up on April 1st of 2017. April 8th of 2017, you jump in your car with old, uh, who is it, Buck Owens? And drive down to Nashville. What yep. was that drive like for you on that day, knowing that this was it? You were doing this. This was your career now. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was. It was really exciting. Um, mostly, it was just exciting. I mean, I had. I had been while I'd been on that tour. Unfortunately, my relationship at the time had. We had kind of split gone our separate ways right before I left on the road. And, you know, when I came back, we were supposed to talk and, you know, figure out what we were going to do. And basically I came home and said, I'm leaving, I'm going to Nashville, which 
was really tough. He was a really good guy, really, really good person and, and good to me, just not good for me um, and vice versa. You know, we just had different paths, unfortunately. Um, but I think it was probably easier on me because I had the luxury of just getting in my truck and leaving it all behind and kind of starting fresh. And my guitar player, Ollie, and one of my best friends, he also was in the Stone Sparrows. Um, we've been friends for a long time. He he made the trip with me, which definitely helped, like having somebody with me. And, you know, we talked a lot on the way and he just, you know, basically just reassured me. He's like, this is the best, best decision for you. It's going to be great. And I mean, there was a lot of growing pains at first and adjustments when I first moved there. A lot of times it was really lonely and I questioned whether I'd made the right choice or not. But I mean, looking back now, I mean, it's I, I couldn't be happier that I made that choice. It was absolutely the best thing I ever did for my career and and also for myself personally. I mean, it's you know, I, I love where I grew up and I'll always, you know, hold on to my my roots, so to speak. But I really do believe I ended up where I was supposed to be. And with let's talk about walls come down now, because that was a really big turning point for you as well. Yeah. And I want to kind of paint this picture because I still remember the day that it went number one, because the week before it started to become a big deal, because earlier in the year, Lindsay L had gone number one. And yeah. if you went number one by the end of the year, that would be the first time since 99 that yeah. two Canadian country females went number one. And mm -hmm. so I remember the weekend before listening to the countdown and it's like this big thing. And then the whole week, like social media from Canadian country artists was just like smashed with requested <laughs> call your radio yeah. station, get this done. And then I'll never forget the, the weekend when I was listening to the countdown and it gets to like number two and you realize it's not you and you were the one. And I mean, that gave me, I still remember it. It gave me chills. So I can't imagine what it was like for you. That was, I mean, that was just such a crazy, amazing experience for so many reasons. I mean, you know, one, you know, that, that song was, it was not what people were used to hearing on radio. I mean, there was a lot of pretty, pretty tough topics in there and some, some raw emotions and you know it was and i mean it's certainly not by any means like a complete autobiographical song of of my life there were bits and pieces brought in with my co-writers and it was more us just writing a general story about you know what it's like to you know my, my parents were going through a divorce and we started talking about that and you know a divorce is it's tough on everybody the it's it's hard on the the two people involved and the parents and them you know, trying to maintain some kind of normalcy and sort of protect their children from what's happening. But then, you know, and then it's sort of all, it becomes this bit of like sort of secrecy, right? Which is always with the best of intentions. But as you know, as the song says, when the walls come down, I mean, everything kind of comes to light and everybody handles it differently. It trickles down through the whole family and can be harder on some than others. And so it was a, it was like a very sensitive topic and so i was i was shocked to begin with that the label or that radio even wanted to make that a single i was like pleasantly surprised i was like wow this is awesome like this is real country music this is real story real people not just like tailgates and tan lines and beer you know and so that part of it was was really cool that not only was it my first number one but i think it was a very special number one because it was something that had not been done at radio for a very long time. 
But it was also crazy because um, my boyfriend Mitchell had just gone number one with Drunk Me in America the week before. So the two of us had been like watching the charts, you know, just looking at each other like, are we going to both get a number one? Like, how is this is crazy? And, you know, so when Mitchell went number one, I actually he was playing in Georgia. And so like he was playing and like at midnight, he was going to be officially at number one that night at the show. Right. And so my friend Renee and I decided to drive down and surprise him at the show. So we got to celebrate on the bus and everything after he went number one. It was awesome. And then the weekend after that, he was actually playing again in another area, another city in Georgia. And so he he asked me to come out on the road with him so we could be together should we have something to celebrate. <laughs> and so that whole day I was just like my nerves were fried. I was I had so much anxiety. I was freaking out. So he was like doing sound check and getting ready. So I was like I'm going to go for a walk. I'll be back in a couple hours. I just need to like clear my head and whatever. So I'm walking around and I hear I walked by this tattoo shop and they were playing Whiskey Myers, which is like one of my favorite bands. So I kind of perked up and I was like, I'm gonna go get a tattoo. <laughs> and so <laughs> I was think I had been thinking about this this idea, you know, of having faith over fear, you know, faith in, in God and faith in your path and what's meant to be will be and all that. So I ended up getting this tattoo that day. I, it probably looks backwards to you, but it's faith right. over fear. Yeah. So I yeah. went in and I got this tattoo and it was kind of cool because it was like nobody knew that I was there. It was like my own little secret. I just randomly walked into this place and I got this tattoo and I was like, well, you know, God willing, hopefully this is going to be a tattoo that represents the day I got my first number one and not my first top three or whatever. <laughs> and so I go back to the bus and Mitchell's like, where have you been? I was like, I got a tattoo. He's like, what? <laughs> so... He goes on stage, he's and he was like looking at the charts and he basically I think it was Thomas Rhett. We were like battling each other for that number one spot, kind of going back and forth as stations were upping spins and all that. So when he left to go on stage and I didn't have access to the charts, only he did because he had a, you know, an account or whatever. Right. So he comes off stage and he's like, well, he's like, did you get it? And I was like, I haven't heard anything from the label. So like, I guess not. I don't know. And he's like, let me let me just check. And so he pulls his phone up. And he's looking at it and he goes, he's like, oh man, he's like, babe, I'm so sorry. Is that, is that a number one? Did you just go number one? And I just started sobbing, like sobbing. <laughs> and he's like, all right, guys, let's do shots. So we got to celebrate together. I mean, just to be able to be with each other in both of those pivotal moments, you know, knowing how hard the other one had worked, knowing all the sacrifices and being able to share that moment together. That was also like probably the drunkest month of our lives because people <laughs> just like kept stopping by the house and like bringing us bottles of booze to like celebrate. By the end of that, I'm like, okay, we need to like detox for, for a month. But I mean, I think just the fact that we got to experience that together, like a week apart, that that's just, I couldn't ask for a more special moment than that. Yeah. And along the way with Mitchell, what has it been like to almost grow within your careers at the same pace, almost with each other over the last few years? Yeah, it's been, um, you know, for the most part, I mean, when I, when I met Mitchell, he hadn't even signed his record deal when we first started talking, like he signed his deal within, I think like a month or two of when we first started seeing each other. Um, so before that, you know, I mean, he, he was already w pretty well known as a songwriter and, you know, as a singer and artist around town, but like his, his true like career path really didn't start until after we started dating. So I did get to watch him 
just really blow up really quickly. I mean, you know, and that's the thing is like, I, I still had, didn't have my record deal in the US, so I was doing stuff in Canada, but I'd already been doing that for, you know, four plus years, you know, with in, in Canada. Right. And so right. it was, it was crazy for me to see because our, our, the starts of our careers were very different. You know, I mean, he, he blew up really fast, like within yeah. a year. Whereas for me, it was more of a slow burn, steady climb kind of thing. And, you know, he also, I also was going through some things with changes in my team and some really hard times in my own career while he was sort of like really at the top of his game. And we've had, we've had moments like that throughout both of our careers where I've been like at the top of my game and he's kind of on the low and he's struggling or vice versa. And I think it's been, it's, you know, it's been, we've both learned lessons about how to handle that, how to be, you know, how to be sensitive to the other person's struggles while, you know, and then also being able to be happy for them and excited for them when things are going great for them and maybe not so much for you. And I think we've navigated that really well. And it's funny because Mitchell and I are both very competitive people by nature, but we're not competitive with each other. You know, we, we really do love each other and want the best for each other and support each other. We celebrate the successes. We are there for each other for the disappointments. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it can, it can be tough sometimes being in the same industry and, you know, learning how to navigate that, especially when we're in totally different places, you know? Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a learning curve for us, but I think we've navigated it pretty well so far. And talk about 2020 when you did, well, I don't know if it was 2020 when you signed your U S deal, but it was when you released your first single to U S yeah. radio. Uh, my first car. What was that experience like, like especially coming from Canada mm-hmm. and getting that deal? Was that just sort of more fuel on the fire that you were on the right path? Yeah, it was, it was really tough. Cause I mean, I'd already been talking with riser. Um, I mean, I think the day they officially like said they wanted to make me an offer was actually the day I put out um, the wildest me EP. So that we had been already kind of in conversations for a while. It's just record deals are generally pretty slow processes. There's a lot, especially for me, because it was extra complicated because I had, I already had a Canadian record deal. Um, and then just trying to figure out how that was all going to work. But I mean, luckily for me, you know, Warner knew from the beginning that this was all, that that was my plan. And that was my goal was eventually to get a US record deal. And I've been really lucky. Everybody gets along great. We're all, we're all on the same team and you know, it's been really good, but it was tough because I mean, yeah, 2020 was supposed to be like my year to break out in America. We had, I had the, the wild is me tour and the old dominion tour with Mitchell. And I was basically supposed to come off the road from that tour, go in the studio, cut new music, and then get on radio tour and hopefully be putting the first US single out to radio by midsummer. That was the plan. And then the pandemic hit and we kept having to push things off and it went from, okay, it's just a couple weeks. And then it's like, no, now it's a two months and another month. And then, you know, I watched slowly as like every festival and show and tour date I had just disappeared off my calendar one by one until finally, like I remember the day the last show I had booked for 2020 was canceled and I was like, wow, like I'm really not going to play any shows this year. This is crazy. And we didn't really know. We were trying to figure out how and if and when we were going to put a single to radio in the U.S. And, you know, we we felt we 
had a really strong single. And so we decided to go to radio um, at the end of last year. And we also were doing that with the impression that things were going to be like back to normal by the beginning of 2021. And I'd be able to go out and do a radio tour like, you know, we could get it to radio, get that first initial push. And then top of the year 2021, I get out and do a radio tour. Well, obviously that didn't happen. We're just now in almost June starting to get shows back. And so, you know, unfortunately, that single just didn't get what it needed because I, I couldn't get out and tour. I couldn't meet the, the people at radio. A lot of people I made relationships with before the pandemic lost their jobs. You know, so I, a lot of my champions at radio were, weren't even there anymore. And, you know, there's there was a lot of new artists trying to break. I mean, there have not been hardly any new artists that have broken at radio since this pandemic because, you know, there's just a lot going on and nobody's able to get out and promote themselves or make relationships with the the programmers and all that. So you know, it's, it was definitely a little bit disappointing and, and frustrating, but you know, it is what it is and everybody's kind of in the same boat. So it's not like that disappointment was specific just to me. Yeah. And you finally have the new album ready to go. It's going to be released in June. Now, Heart on my glass is the name of it. Is this something that you had like ready to go at the beginning of 2020 that you were planning on releasing earlier, or did it come together during 2020? Um, I mean, if we, I'll say this, and this is like kind of what I think, or I hope at least is going to be sort of the silver lining of this whole pandemic and this experience. I mean, had I made a record back when I was supposed to, like, you know, more beginning of 2020, it would have been a different record. There's a couple, there's a couple songs for sure that are on this record that would have been on that one, but there's a very large chunk of songs on this record that I wrote during the pandemic. Um, and I don't think that a, I don't know that I would have even written some of those songs had I been touring and doing everything the way, like as planned in 2020, Right. you know, I had a lot of time during this pandemic to just self reflect and think about who I am and who I want to be as an artist and how I want to present myself and how I want to say it. And, and I think especially my sound too, because, you know, going back to Grace and Grit and my first record, you know, at the time when we made that record, I, it was a, it was a pretty like traditional country record. Um, and especially in comparison to what else was at radio in Canada at the time. And I think that was part of why that record was, was pretty successful for me is because it was kind of filling a void for a lot of people that still love the more traditional sound as opposed to the more pop country sound. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, that, that record was and still is very authentic to me, but I've also grown and evolved a lot since that record. And I I realized as I was going into write and stuff during this past year, I mean, I wrote like every single day of this pandemic. And I was realizing that I had been kind of putting myself in a box, like almost subconsciously in terms of what I could write and what I couldn't, because after that record, it was like, I almost inadvertently became sort of this poster child for this more traditional sound. And then it felt like, well, I couldn't veer from that because I didn't want to disappoint my fans. I wanted to give them what they wanted. I wanted to make everybody happy. And I realized that there was this whole other part of me and my sound and my creativity and my inspiration that was being kind of stifled in the name of, you know, sticking to that one thing. And so over the pandemic, I had all this time to just write. And so, and I wasn't on a deadline to get a record done or anything like that. 
I was just writing to write and be creative. And so I took a lot more chances sonically and musically. And I'm like, let's just try something weird or like something different today. And a lot of those songs ended up on the record. And I think that's why I do feel like as much as every record I've put out has always been authentic and true to me, there's a lot more on this record that shows all of the sides of me, all of the layers. It's more in depth and more raw and more authentic um, than anything else, just because I had time to dig a lot deeper. And I also had the luxury of not trying to like chase anything or turn anything in on a deadline. I was just writing what was what I wanted to write and what felt good to me. Right. And so is it pretty exciting then to have this as sort of your debut to America and have it so authentic and be able to really have a fresh start and be like, okay, this is the beginning. Yes. I'm, you know, I talked about the feeling of putting out a new record with, with previous projects, which was sort of, you know, equal parts crippling anxiety and doubt and excitement. And, you know, with this record, I, I don't have a lot of that anxiety or doubt. I'm just so proud of it. It's kind of, I'm kind of looking at this record. Like if you don't like this record, then I'm just not for you. I'm just, I'm just not your thing. And that's totally fine because this, this is me. And, you know, another big part of that was working with a new producer. Um, my friend, Joey Hyde, he's also a writer, just so, so talented. And I mean, there are also songs on this record that are produced by Jeremy Stover, who did my last two records before that. And I love Stover. He is, he is crazy talented, great producer and one of my dear friends. But I also felt like, you know, Joey and I were writing a lot of stuff together over the pandemic and before that. And we were just kind of on a roll and we had this great vibe and he was doing a lot of the demos and stuff for these songs. And it was just something different and fresh. And it felt like it was really the direction I wanted to move in just artistically and sonically. And um, so I decided to approach Joey about, about producing songs on this new record and he was super excited about it and because i also wanted to i wanted to like co-produce like i wanted to be more hands-on um on the production side and in the studio not just show up and sing but really be there talk to the band you know do my thing and so we ended up doing that and it was just you know the, the experience of making that record with him from start to finish was just such a great experience because it was a shared experience. It really felt like our project, you know, and, and I knew that he was just as um, invested and excited about it as I was, because this was also really his first kind of big, like record as a producer, other than doing his, his own stuff. Right. And so, yeah, it was, it was a really amazing experience making that record with him. And I feel like, you know, I remember we both sat down, we went and uh, went to his studio and we got the final masters and everything. And had a had a couple beers and listened through and you know had our like emotional moment but i just was like you know this is this record to me sounds like what my music has always sounded like in my head but couldn't always you know get it out of my head and and make it come to fruition in the studio and so yeah i'm just i'm just super excited to get this music out there i feel like it is a great representation, a true authentic representation of who I am as an artist, especially coming out in the U.S. as sort of a brand new artist. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm excited. It comes out on June 25th. I imagine it's probably equal parts 
it's going too fast and equal parts. God, won't June 25th just get here already? <laughs> it's a hundred percent. Won't June 25th get here? Already. <laughs> I am. I am not. If you know me, I am not a patient person. I don't like waiting. So I am like raring to go. I'm ready to get this music out there and start playing shows again. That is awesome. And one thing before we go, I wanted to ask you about, because I wrote it down and I'm really interested about it. Back in 2018, in August, you did a writer's round at the Opry. Now, oh. did you stand in the circle or is that kind of like the Stanley Cup that you don't touch it nope. until you're actually there for real? No, I was, uh, I mean, I think, I feel like they did we took a picture with everybody, but you were around I, it. I saw the picture. Yeah, you were okay. around it. You weren't. Because I was like, I'm pretty sure that I, I, I was pretty adamant that the first time I stepped into that circle was going to be the real deal. When I get asked to like actually play at the Opry, like for real. So yeah, that was. I don't know. That felt like a very special thing that I, I didn't want to like cheat myself out of that moment. You know. Yeah, and do you feel with this album that that is going to become a, a reality sooner rather yeah. than later? I think so. That's awesome. Well, congratulations on everything. Congratulations on making it through 2020 with some great music on the way. June 25th, Heart on My Glass. Uh, you can already listen to the singles, Never Giving Up on You and Mama Prayed for You on all the streaming services. So congratulations on everything and good luck with the release at the end of June. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Um, I enjoyed it. Yeah.